Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I am here with Attorney Mark Scroggins of Rule Scroggins PLLC, Divorce and Family Law, serving Dallas, Collin, and Denton counties. This is the Rule Scroggins Family Law podcast series featuring news and information in Texas divorce and family law. Today, our program is titled The Pitfalls of Infidelity and Repercussions in Divorce with Mark Scroggins. Today, a few of the topics we'll cover. First, what to do when you suspect your spouse may be cheating? Should you hire an investigator? Also, if and when cheating is confirmed, should you file for divorce? And if so, when is a good time and what should you consider beforehand? Also, we'll talk about the money that may be lost by people having an affairs and consider money spent on that paramour and the wasting of the community estate, as it is called. Also, we'll take a look at how infidelity and extramarital relationships can affect child custody decisions and ask the question, is there a way to save the marriage or co-parent effectively after an affair? Again, I'm here with board-certified and family law attorney Mark Scroggins, who's an aggressive and experienced trial attorney with a sound understanding of business and family law matters that serves him well in family law. An accomplished speaker and author, Mr. Scroggins has practiced family law throughout the state of Texas for over 20 years. He's written about family law matters for Texas Lawyer and other numerous periodicals and has spoken before numerous organizations and corporate clients. Quick disclaimer, for anyone listening to this program, this is a general information program. This program is not legal advice, and listening to the program does not create an attorney-client relationship. For more information, please call Rule Scroggins directly to speak to an attorney by dialing area code 214-578-0941. All rights to this broadcast are reserved, and it's time to say good morning to Mark Scroggins. Hey, Dick. How you doing? I'm doing well, and excited to talk about one of my favorite topics in family law, which might make me a little uh, off or twisted, but, you know, going after as people, when cheating is involved, infidelity, people are out for blood, and anyone who uh, enjoys the sport of a good battle, you know, this is definitely uh, the area. This is, I think, what determines whether people will excel as family law practitioners or go in a different direction, how they handle situations like this. So, <laughs> you know, what What else can you say? Right. Yeah, it is uh, – there, there's no question. It is a uh, – it is a highly emotional um, issue. I mean, there isn't uh, anything that can uh, – I think that really raises the ire of uh, someone more than, uh, you know, finding out they've been cheated on in a marriage. Right. I mean, the trust, when trust is broken and trust is gone, everything else seems to slowly go out the door, go with it. Um, so, yeah. you know, there are, and it, of course, um, you know, we talk about this all the time, how social media pops up and, you know, we think, oh, you know, who's talking to who and so-and-so liked your post. People have a tendency to really go completely bonkers on some of this stuff, and it's really easy for people to, especially if you have friends who've been cheated on, you're going to start looking at, you know, around your circle, and, hmm, what's going on? So if you do suspect that your spouse may be cheating, 
at what point uh, should someone hire an investigator? Uh, do people come to you after they've already hired an investigator? Do they come to you and ask if they should? How does that conversation go? You know, you have both of them. I mean, there's some that, uh, you know, will – you know, I've I've been in a situation where you've had some that basically they turn into their own version of Sherlock Holmes and try to, you know, figure things out themselves. And some of them have done a, a pretty damn good job of it, frankly. Um, but there are some, there are plenty that hire investigators prior to uh, coming to me. There's some that uh, you know come and and mention that. You know, they, they suspect and they've got uh, a pretty healthy suspicion and does it make sense to hire an investigator. And, you know, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, you know, um, if if you've got a lot, of, a lot of stuff that is basically going to prove it up, you know, uh, you might not necessarily need to, especially if money is a concern because, you know, getting – the question is what do you – you know, what are you using an investigator to do? If it is, you know, like the stuff you'd see with Magnum PI, somebody's hanging out, you know, with a, uh, you know, with a camera or videotape and they're trying to uh, get pictures of the person, yeah, then that makes sense to do. Now, the the issue with that is it, it gets pretty expensive in a hurry, you know. Magnum so. PI is not is not cheap, by the way. Anyone who wants to hire him, get your wallet. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that, that goes along with... Uh, um, you know, most investigators that are that are pretty good because the other thing you really want to try to do is if you're going to uh, attempt to get photographs and video and, and that type of stuff, you know, it is best if, um, you know, the investigator is, is not ID'd right away, <laughs> you know. Um, and I've seen that kind of thing happen before where someone was not terribly – uh, inconspicuous, and you know, person thought they were being being didn't know what it was about, and called the police. <laughs> so there, right. there are all kinds of things that can happen from that. But I mean, typically, you can make out whether a person is cheating or not through a bunch of different sources. I mean, you can see it a lot of the time through um, you know through uh, travel receipts or through uh, credit card receipts or you know credit card statements or. Uh, you brought up the social media thing, and sometimes, uh, you know, that can be incredibly damning. Sometimes people are just stupid, and they put stuff out there, say, from a business trip, and, uh, you know, they're looking too cozy with one of their coworkers or, or someone else when, you know, say they were up in Boston on some deal, you know, or in Chicago on some deal, or, um, you know, it's liked by someone that the spouse has no idea who that person is. You know, and all of a sudden you've got uh, someone that um, the spouse who is concerned, you know, no idea who this other this other person that is suddenly making an appearance on uh, her, you know, her husband or his wife's social media sites and is liking certain things or responding to certain things. Or, you know, it's amazing. Sometimes people will get a picture and it'll just be, um, you know, say of uh, – two women together and, you know, they don't really pay attention to what's in the background and maybe the mm -hmm. paramour is in the background, you know, or you see that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, let's say you have a decision, you know, other, yeah, you know, the evidence leads to the conclusion that the person is cheating on you or they're not. Mm -hmm. But if they are, um, what should they do? I mean, should, people, I mean, it's kind of a 
foregone conclusion for some, but should you file for divorce? And if you do file for divorce, should you do it right away? Or are there other steps that should take place before in certain circumstances? You know, that's a, that there, there is no one way to go about that. That is for sure. And I would never, um, I would never tell someone that if they, you know, if they find out their spouse is cheating, that you know they need to immediately file file for divorce. Everybody's different, you know. Some people can mm-hmm. come back from that, and some people can't. Um, you know, the big thing is, um, you know, that that violation of trust. Now, I've seen some people get get through it and have had successful marriages after. Now, I, the number that I've seen actually get through that and have successful marriage is small. Um, just because of the the trust violation, so um, and it can be really rough on both parties. I mean, at first, you know, the the spouse who's been cheated on is you know going to be unbelievably um, paranoid and justifiably so, you know, for a little bit of what's going on, what's this person up to, who is he or she with, what are they doing, when are they going to be, on, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at some point. At some point for the marriage to work, trust has to be reestablished, and you can't have that uh, everything under a microphone or a microscope uh, type of situation anymore, or else it just doesn't work. I mean, it's got to be, um, it's not that it can be, you know, that it will ever be forgotten, but it has to be put way back there, and it can't be something that any time, you know, the parties get in into an argument that they're going to be beat over the head with it or there's no way that 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 marriage will work. So mm-hmm. so you have to determine what kind, you know, if if you think that there's a chance to to get through it. If you do, I would strongly suggest that you need to use a very good marriage counselor who is going to you know, try to get you past that and uh so that you can have a a solid marriage. Um so that's the first step in in that making that determination. So if you make the determination that you can't get past it and you want to file for divorce, um, I'm going to have the same recommendations for you that I do of anybody else that is getting ready to file for divorce, and that's to try to make sure that you have, uh, you know, as many of your ducks in a row as you possibly can, especially as it relates to financial information. Um, I, let's just take someone who has been a stay-at-home spouse, uh, and I've represented, you know, plenty of folks that that have been. I mean, a lot of the time. Those folks do not, you know, it's like they handle the household and the other spouse handles, uh, you know, all the financial aspects of things. And so that spouse might not have um, much information about, you know, what's the mortgage cost? Who's it paid to? You know, same thing with with, with cable, uh, credit cards, doesn't, you know, doesn't look at them, doesn't know who's spending what, where, and, and why. Um, so you want to try to get a hold of as much of that information as you can uh, prior to so that, you know, something isn't changed uh, real quickly when someone kind of sniffs it out. Um, once, a, once a lawsuit is filed, you know, people uh, generally are going to be prevented from making those changes, or let me, let me say it this way. There are going to be things that say that they shouldn't. It doesn't mean that people don't still at times. Uh, it just means that you've got remedies for it. Uh, and you can you can get a lot of this stuff in in the discovery process, but you know some of that can be difficult. Sometimes it's not. It just you know depends on uh, depends on a lot of different things. So that is the next thing I would make a determination of is uh, what do you know about the the state of uh, your marital estate and 
if you don't know that much about it, you probably want to try to get your hands around stuff as much as you can prior to filing. Mm, uh, absolutely terrifying uh, <clears throat> thought and moment that I've, you know, when, in the past that I've worked in a family law firm, seen people say, I don't know, I have no idea. I, you know, I buy things, I write checks, you know, and then but someone else, you know, he or she takes care of it. Um, it's really concerning. Right. So let's say, you know, you do start getting some information about uh, everything that's going on, you're piling information together. And you may find out that the reason you didn't have access to that information is because there were shenanigans going on for a long time. And those of us in, well, I suppose in, in you know, it doesn't matter, you know, all walks of life have uh, this thing can happen. But uh, things that I've seen among my peers and the people in my circles um, who talk about infidelity and cheating, I usually hear the stories of someone who's been cheating for someone for a long time on a consistent and ongoing, you know, I've heard about vacations, I've heard about people paying for other people's apartments, um, you know, right. in their cars and whatnot, and they're skimming, you know, and where, where they're skimming money out uh, here and there to pay for an affair, and they're really keeping two households going sometimes. And, you know, so if you don't have the, you know, if, if someone's not being forthright with information and money, you might wonder why. Um, so what happens and what should we consider when money is spent on the, uh, the paramour and the other, the spot, the other person as we're, we're talking about? Um, and this brings up the concept of what's known as wasting of the community estate. So if we could talk about that for a little while, I'm curious to sure. uh, know a little bit more. Well, all those things that you brought up are are things that that happen, you know, at, at times. It doesn't happen in every every situation, but it happens in a lot of them. Um, you tend to see, you know, vacations and stuff like that. And in some extreme cases, you will see where people are paying for a whole second household, um, you know, to yeah, to you know, keep to quote unquote keep the person, so to speak. Uh, and that does bring up the issue of wasting a community assets. That's something that can be pled in uh, in your divorce case and discovery that you want to get into uh, looking at how much money has actually been spent. And so if you've got a fair amount of money that has been spent, uh, that can go into what is called reconstituting the marital estate, where that money is added back in to the estate, just like it you know, was never spent. So let's say it's an extreme case and someone spent, you know, $100,000 on, on the Paramore. Uh, that 100000 would be added back in just like it was, uh, you know, it never left the marital estate. And so when the division happens, the division is going to be based on the number with that extra 100000 included in there. And so let's say it's a, you know, 55-45 division going to the wife, okay? The wife is going to get 55% of the estate. So let's say that that, that estate uh, is a million dollars with, uh, just to use easy numbers, uh, with that, that money added back in. Well, she's going to get 550000 and it would then make you think that hubby's going to get 450000 Well, no, he's actually going to end up with... 350,000 because of that 100,000 of wasted wasted assets. So it can really you can really get slapped around by it if you're not careful. Right. Now when we talk about finding that that money, so let's say we're going through the divorce financials and 
you know, the question is, you know, identifying income expenses, this and that. We start seeing some uh, what look like some anomalies. I start seeing more and more, and we wonder how much is this the wasting that's going on? How much money has been diverted? Um, what type of people are brought in? Are, are uh, forensic people brought in? Yeah, I mean, most of the time you're going to want to bring in a forensic accountant who you know can go through everything with fine-tooth comb and point out where you know, hey, there's a m- bunch of money going in this direction or that direction, and you know, you might know what the source is or you might not. You know, you might not know where it's where it's going to, but that will point you in the right direction to uh, be able to, to start getting a handle on on those things. Mm-hmm. Now, also if you do find that there has been the cheating and you do find that the money has been spent on someone else. Um, assuming that you're going to get, you prove up your, you know, wasting claim and you are able to recoup that. What about also pleading fault grounds and asking for a greater division of uh, the marital estate in that point? Yeah, well, that definitely is something else that can come into play. I mean, Texas uh, has no fault. Uh, no fault basis for divorce, just like uh, every other state. But one of the fault bases for uh, divorce is infidelity and or adultery. So, uh, if that is proved, that is you know a a fault basis, and you can end up with getting a disparate division based on that. Uh, now, having said that, um, an amount. Uh, the additional amount that you are going to get because of proving that varies greatly. You know, uh, I mean, was it a a one-time thing, uh, you know, like a one-night stand type of thing? Was it a, a prolonged affair where there was a lot of money spent uh, on the paramour? Was it something where, uh, say, it's someone who travels for business all the time and he or she, you know, has someone different in every city that they go to? Uh, was the uh, was the other partner exposed, you know, to an STD or something like that? So there are a whole lot of different factors that that go into it, as well as the size of the marital estate. You know, the the greater the marital estate, the closer to the division is going to be to fifty fifty, regardless of you know the fault. Uh, the lesser, the greater, uh, the lesser. The size of the estate, the the greater the the disparate division typically is. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it really depends on a lot of different issues. That's where you know no one thing is, um, you know, is the same. So a lot of people think that oh well, I caught you know I caught my husband cheating, um, so that means you know I'm going to get everything and I and the kids and this that and the other. And that's just simply not true. That's just simply not the case. Right, right. What about jury trials? Can we get a jury trial for an issue such as that? You can. You can. But you can. I mean, I mean, you know, here you're here's, spending here's a lot of money to recoup, you know. But I think, you know, I wonder if are you going to recoup or are you going to get it in a, in a punitive sense, you know? And that's I think where some people sit where I, that I've heard that I don't care how much it costs and how much I'm going to lose. I'm going to burn that person. Right. Well, the thing you've got to remember is, you know, so the jury can make a decision on whether or not the affair took place, but the the jury isn't going to make a decision on how the marital estate is divided. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so typically where where you see where you see jury trials more in family law matters is typically 
in uh, one of two areas. The most common is when you're dealing with child custody issues, okay? So, I mean, the, the jury can make a lot more decisions in the realm of child custody than they can on marital, you know, issues with the marital estate. The other place that you see jury trials a fair amount is on property character or whether or not something is community or separate property, okay? Mm-hmm. And then based on that, then the court's going to, you know, make the division. So that's where, you know, that's where, uh, you know, the the question of whether or not to have a child really comes right. in. So it's a, it's it is a really much more common on child custody issues. <laughs> Fun topic, you know. We should. I'm, I've just made a note to talk to you about circling around next month for doing something just on jury trials. But uh, right. it's a really fun topic, you know. A lot of people love jury, movies too about jury selection and all that amazing stuff. Right. But back on to cheating and everything else mm-hmm. and infidelity. Let's talk about child custody. Um, how infidelity mm-hmm. and extramarital relationships are going to affect child custody in the in the court's eyes. Well, once again, you know, there is no one definitive way that it's that it's going to be dealt with the the real question okay is going to be whether or not it took away um from that person's parenting of the kids you know were the kids exposed to to the paramour um was the person missing out on parenting things were you know did uh did mrs jones miss out on PTA events or parent-child conferences, you know, because she was, uh, you know, having an affair with, uh, you know, with Mr. Abbott down the street, you know. Um, those are the types of things that are that are going to come into play. I mean, a court is definitely not going to like it if, uh, you know, the the kids were exposed to the paramour. I mean, that's, that's not good. Um, but is that going to be enough to change what would otherwise be the uh, uh, the child custody decision? I don't know. Depends on, you know, all depends on the particular facts of the case. So, um, so if, let's say, it's a situation where someone, let's say, was a consultant, okay, and they're flying back and forth to L.A. on, you know, a consulting job and having a have an affair out there, but, you know, the kids aren't exposed to it. The kids don't know anything about it. It's not taken away from that time that they spend with the kids and all that. Then, then frankly, um, the likelihood that it is going to play into a decision on child custody is minimal. I mean, you, you would use it, or the way I would use it, is showing that this person makes very poor life decisions, okay, and has poor decision-making skills. So based on that, you want to try to, you know, shoehorn that into, well, gee, Judge, if they're making such bad, uh, you know, life decisions here, um, then uh, surely, the, you know, we can't trust them in making making decisions for the kids. Now, does that work? Maybe a little, you know, once again, depends on the circumstances of the case. But if, you know, if what the other evidence is, is that he or she, you know, is a great parent, um, you know, just because they had an affair, that's not going to take away from that. Right. You know, they can have 
there, there, you know, I often wonder what leads people to, to having an affair. And there seems to be two sides of a coin. One where your spouse drives you nuts, you shouldn't have got married to them in the first place, and they drive you to an affair. Or you're just a person who's, you know, got different moral fiber than others. And it just some people are, you, the people use, they have vices. And, I, and it just seems to me that cheating like that, and the thrill of it or getting away with it seems to be a vice that people want. And uh, so we have just all, we have such a variety of people out there in the world. And, you know, at, at any point when it gets to a point of divorce, we ask the question, well, how are these people possibly going to, you know, could the marriage be saved? And we ch- chatted about that earlier, but more importantly, co-parenting after we have an affair like this and after things have been drugged through the mud, um, it just, it seems that uh, as you leave and walk out of court, of course, you're not holding hands and going for margaritas afterwards. Some people do, actually, um, but mm-hmm. most are not. And, um, you know, I would think, and what I've seen personally, especially with some of my friends who've had parents who've had affairs or ended in divorce, is that seems to always overshadow uh, visitation time and everything else. So what are some tips on co-parenting after we've had an infidelity issue that was part and parcel to or led to or contributed to divorce and what we do afterwards? You know, the biggest thing would be to hold your tongue. <laughs> so that's the that's Good luck the with a lot of people. I mean, yeah, it doesn't happen all the time. You know, the, the – the focus always has to be, you know, it, it's on the kids. Uh, and unfortunately, when someone comes out of a divorce just really hurt, uh, co-parenting can be tough because they have, you know, such acrimony uh, for the other parent. I mean, just, you know, can't stand them, hate the side of them. Um, and that's a hard thing. Uh, that's a really hard thing, but you've got to get to the point of realizing that, hey, you know, you're, you're co-parenting because this is what's in the kid's best interest, not to mention that's what the court ordered, and if you don't, it can lead to a, uh, you know, to a modification and having things switched around or, you know, uh, anyway, lots of bad things can happen if you don't do that. Uh, sometimes it is a good thing to go to counseling because of that. Sometimes you might want to employ a uh, a parenting facilitator or coordinator um, to to assist in that process. That's you know, parenting facilitators or coordinators are appointed um, when there is a high level of acrimony between parties. Uh, either during a divorce or that it can last after a divorce. And they specifically are there to, you know, help to facilitate uh, parenting decisions. So that can be very helpful. Uh, So the the one thing that is always helpful is time. You know, time is the great healer on on these things. And, you know, there is a, you know, a corny saying of there's no way around it but through it. And that is, that's frankly kind of the situation here. I mean, you know, things are raw for a little while, you know, when you first get a divorce. After time has gone by, uh, people become desensitized to things, especially once they have the one who has been harmed or who, who 
views themselves as harmed, say gets out, gets back out in the dating game and gets involved with someone else. They tend to be much less concerned with what the other person is doing uh, once they, uh, you know, are involved in having a good time again. Let's put it that way. Exactly, exactly. The the so, thing that anyway, I wonder about with go ahead finish you're sorry no I go ahead I the thing that I wonder about with the kids is mm-hmm. there's parents who seem to talk about it explain it and then there's other times where they'll say nothing about it and you know the kids are kind of left to wonder and they don't learn a lesson and I just wonder sometimes if silence about bad things that happen in the world. Um, I just don't know if that's always a good thing when it comes to kids and kids having a healthy, uh, you know, outlook on the future and uh, trust issues and things like that. Well, I mean, generally, you know, courts aren't going to like it if you are sitting there talking to them about mom or dad having having an affair, okay, because that's really right. not something that the kids um, that the kids need to be involved in or need to know all the details about and there are a number of different reasons about that one is frankly you know even at 18 years of age they are not uh, emotionally mature enough to understand um you know all the complexity of an affair and what you know what caused it and what didn't and they're obviously going to be two different viewpoints and it can absolutely poison a relationship uh, between, you know, parent and child. And the other piece of that is that, you know, it's, it's like when parents are making, one parent is making derogatory comments about the other to the kids. Well, the kid is half of each of them, you know. So, in effect, you're telling them that, you know, this part of you is bad. You know, this part mm-hmm. of you is bad and can't be trusted and all that crap. And that's just, that's a horrible thing to do to a kid. You know, I mean, what typically happens is, uh, you know, people, kids, once they become adults, find out, you know, at least some of the particulars and then, you know, tend to get aggrieved towards the person who, who committed the affair. And at some point, they actually want to hear what that person's viewpoint is and why it happened. You know, so you see, it's just, it. you know, it's complex. And, I mean, it's why a lot of people need to go to therapy and that, you know, it's kind of like a parenting thing. You hear a lot of people talk about, well, my dad didn't do this or my mom didn't do that. And, you know, the fact of the matter is the vast majority of the time people are doing the best that they can with what they've got, you know, That's based true. on the particular baggage that they bring in to a relationship, you know, dependent upon their upbringing and what their social circumstances were when they were growing up. So it's just, it's real complex. And if you start having someone try to, uh, you know, tell a child what happened from, you know, say, you know, up on their bully pulpit, it, uh, you know, the likelihood is that it will do more, more harm than good. So you know, I've seen, I think that's something, it. frankly, that the that the courts have gotten right on on that yeah. deal. I I tend to agree with you in that. Yeah, you know, this is a whole other thing we could get into. You know, like giving yeah. kids freaking right. participation trophies. That's the stupidest crap I've ever heard of. And gives them, <laughs> you know, a a ridiculous view on everything is is sunshine and rainbows when that's bullshit. <laughs> Excuse my French, but right. that's it's just true, asinine. It's true. You know, but I that mean, is. 
And, but that's yeah. the same kind of deal, though, where you know you also don't want to get uh, you know I don't think you want to stick Nick Saban, you know, on a a peewee football team because they're not you know they're not ready to handle that kind of stuff. I don't, you know, I don't so. know. I sort of witnessed something similar to that last night. <laughs> we had a, our fourth oh, wow. uh, Denton's fourth high school is now up and running, and uh, um, yeah, so it was it was it was interesting uh, to say the least. But yeah, as far as kids go, um, you know, I've, I think those of us who I've said this before, and I'll say it again: those of us who grew up in the '70s and '80s. Um, you know, went through parents who, you know, our parents didn't really know a lot about, there wasn't a lot discussed. There weren't podcasts about this kind of thing. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so now as adults, you know, we're hoping to think and reflect on what we saw, you know, as kids, how can we make things better for our children? And sometimes I think we get stuck in that, uh, the, the thinking phase and tend to overthink things and have to recognize, like you said, that children are younger and, uh, you know, it's, they don't understand things like parents do. And, you know, some parents and adults, they don't understand things either. Sometimes no one understands. I'll say some takeaways from our discussion today. Having a good, a, a, a well-experienced divorce attorney, always, always, you know, the, the best thing. And also having someone, and I, I would tell people, ask and find out about private investigators and forensic investigators and good uh, you know, therapists and people for children because it, it takes a, a, a team of people sometimes, right? I'm sorry, say that one more time. I just said it just takes a, it takes a uh, team of people sometimes. But anyways, we're, Mark, we're yeah. out of time. Uh, anyone who wants to follow up on this, how do they best get a hold of you? You can always uh, send me an email at mark at com, or you can call the office, 214-578-0941. All right. I want to remind all the people at home, when you find this podcast, whether you see it in an email someone sends to you or Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, what have you, please be kind and share because we never know who's going through the issues we talk about. Again, Nick Augustine here with Mark Scroggins from Rule Scroggins. They're at 214-578-0941. Mark, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Nick. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.